0: Dynasty is They Want to Be, a podcast where we drill into every episode of the iconic 1980s television series, Dynasty. I'm your host, Derek J. Lang, and with me is my co-host, Kyler K. Jafari.
1: Welcome, savages.
0: Oh my gosh, what an amazing moment we had this week. Dame Joan Collins came to Palm Springs, and we were there to lap it up. What did you think about her appearance at the Palm Springs? Well, I, th- Speak I thought she series. was especially
1: vivacious, and yeah, you you think like, well, she could just have been doing this forever, and how's she going to deliver? But she does, and she do, and the thing is. I think I said this before, like she's not really like fixated on the dynasty years or really any years. Mm -hmm. She she seems to sort of touch on all of it and, and have sort of a sense of humor about the, all of the projects and characters. Yeah. So I, I I appreciate all of that. So, you know, Joan had a, a cold apparently, and that's been going around. It's January after all, but she was like a super trooper. she was, there to deliver the goods and like honestly it just felt very sincere like it just seemed like she was happy to be on stage and talk about things like there was no real it wasn't forced and it wasn't a performance even really it was just joan you know with a microphone and I think it only gets a little bit strange when, like, people start asking questions. It's always a little bit of a bummer when, like, somebody comes out with, like, some crazy question, which, like, hey, look, we're all fans, so I get it. Like, Joan's not prepared for some of that moment. Yeah, your and... fucking inappropriate sex question. Yeah, there was that. and
0: Or you remember my cousin? She met you in 1968. Like,
1: get the fuck out of here with that. Nobody remembers that. Joan... Is not going to remember who she had a cigarette and a martini no, with in the and fall she of 1902. She like, that's, the yeah. expectation should not be there. Um, but I think that's that's sort of a testament to what people associate. Like they, that's how much people love Joan. Is that you know, like they want her to remember those things and they want her to be there for those moments that you know that are in everybody's mind. What
0: was the biggest revelation for you that you may not necessarily have known about that you learned when you heard her speak
1: there was a moment about cleopatra because they still have never really uh, sort of disentangled what joan collins versus elizabeth taylor right
0: where did joan really end and elizabeth begin
1: well i mean i think they were sort of on like parallel tracks and they just never met but they apparently met sort of kind of in this moment and i'm not really sure like where joan Falls on the map of Elizabeth Taylor, but I like that she kind of mentioned it because I always felt like they had a little bit of a rivalry. Maybe they didn't, and I'm not gonna like try to project one if there isn't one. Mm-hmm. However, there are women who were acting at a time and doing very similar things, and so it's interesting to hear like Joan sort of talk about you know being in Cleopatra or not being in Cleopatra, as it were.
0: Right. Well, I mean, I think she she outright said that she was invited to be on the casting couch and she was like no and that's what separated her from and the, the lead role that
1: that's actually so you're asking me that original question which i think is where i wind up like i don't i don't really see elizabeth taylor doing casting couch things it, maybe she did maybe she didn't she's not here to talk about it so i'm not gonna Ascribe anything, yeah. However, I mean, we're
0: just going off here. Uh,
1: you know, Elizabeth Taylor. You know, made her own way in, in many, in much the same way that like Joan did. So I can't, I can't really think that that's really what the story was. But that was like sort of interesting that Joan threw that out there. Yes.
0: After the Palm Springs speaks series with Joan, there was an amazing after party organized by kiki tormo
1: i was excited because like you know palm springs has like these sort of little like niche moments and this was certainly one and loved every moment of that moment um and you know you got to judge the
0: costume contest
1: i think it was funny that uh it turned out that the Claudia Blaisdell outfit, which I don't even know if that was on purpose. I don't think that it was, but it doesn't really matter because costume is not about what the clothes are. Costume is about how yeah. you wear them and what you do while totally. you're wearing them. It's it's an attitude. It's it's a way of being. Um, and so that was like, yeah, it was just fascinating that somebody had the dialed into that moment. And yet there were so many people that were just like, they're doing the dynasty things so hip hip hooray
0: all right well should we take a break and get into this week's episode all right we'll take a break Tyler, your hair is looking fire. You look like you're ready for a fling with an oil tycoon. Mm. Tell everybody what's going on upstairs.
1: So this is like when you bake a potato. You need that tin foil. Before blow drying my mane, I used Sauce Beauty's Hot Sauce Thermal Protection Spray to keep my hair from going into a frizzy tizzy excuse me did you say hot sauce Mm-hmm. sauce beauty is a delicious new hair care line inspired by the flavors you love and i love me some hot sauce i hear that sauce beauty's cayenne infused heat protector soothes
0: with aloe and argan oil leaving hairdos feeling soft and smooth don't be afraid to bring the heat like kyler did to his do Kyler and I are proud that Sauce Beauty is a sponsor of Dynasty as They Want to Be. All their products are clean. That means alcohol, gluten, parabens, salt, and
1: sulfate-free. And Sauce Beauty isn't just for hot heads like they you. Have, mm, they have moisturizing shampoos, conditioners, and other hair treatments inspired by guacamole, mm. chimichurri, mm-hmm. and extra virgin olive oil.
0: Mm, virgin. You can find out more at saucebeauty.com. You say
1: potato, I say hot potato. <laughs>
0: welcome back well after last week's kind of stinker of an episode this Maybe my new favorite episode. This episode was Bonkers
1: Town. Yeah, I almost feel like we were being set up in this prior episode because it was such a snooze fest, and then like I was ready to shut the podcast right back in the other direction.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, this was rejuvenating, enthralling. And the performances were amazing. I mean, even Dr. Taramasu was kind of giving me something. And, you know, he's my least favorite character. Well, because now.
1: he was finally relegated to like B plot status where he belongs, and he had scant dialogue. And not much to do. And but his that's whole all kind I needed of needed from him
0: raison d'être for being here came back into the picture. And his I have his reason
1: for being for being here.
0: Yes, <laughs> I I wondered what was happening with his backstory and why he just glossed oh, over that so no. easily. No, I didn't. I so, wasn't wondering at all. <laughs> but I'm glad that we kind of swung back around on that. So yeah round wait of applause. is that like a really
1: sideways reference to his brother hanging
0: um where do we start
1: well i i don't know the problem is is we know where we finish because that's like what's so exciting about this episode but you know you were talking about the acting i i have to say my you know my queen pamela bellwood i'm a little, little like she's edgy i'm not sure i'm liking what's going on and it's not her fault i said this before like they've pushed her like they've like relegated her into this like awful stepford wife crazy person character
0: yes they've completely leaned into the crazy and i i was a little bit jarred by it last week but now maybe that i've had some time to synthesize it I'm kind of into it. So, in defense of Pamela Bellwood and Claudia Blaisdell, I think she's dealing with this trauma. And I think the trauma, she's regressed. Um, her mental health has regressed. Well,
1: obviously, that's what they're going for. And that's what I think she's going for. But I think we finally found the limits of Pamela Bellwood's acting. And that's a shocker for me. <laughs> but this is, it's a little bit wooden and it's like sad because. I all I know it's all because they've unsexed her like and I say that like in the Lady Macbeth way where she's no longer this like powerful goddess of love and, you know, well, steering she, the plot. She can't she's,
0: be. And especially now that we have the bodies, I've been waiting for the CSI Ecuador evidence so we can finally move on from Matthew and Lindsay. All season long, we've been dealing with this, but we finally got confirmation from a telex, which, you know, I guess is the text message of 82, that their bodies were found. They're actually dead in Ecuador. And I think this is going to, well, obviously it's sending her into even darker places. Yeah. She's really
1: circling the drain at this point. I mean, Like, we we end with her, like, is she, is she not with the baby and then roll credits like a little creepy and they ought to know better than to leave you know crazy claudia upstairs alone with the baby and well they were all
0: very indisposed downstairs for the tennessee williams play that al corley was acting in so i get it you know it was an upstairs downstairs situation
1: but not like you've ever seen before
0: yeah not not an upstairs downstairs situation involving the servants which my god Denver Carrington must be doing really well because they've acquired an all new staff. staff.
1: <laughs> but apparently they're all terrible because, you know, they now they're serving up burnt bacon and, you know, stale eggs and take this away because I can't eat that for breakfast. Yeah.
0: I was a little surprised. Mrs. Gunerson doesn't have it together if she's been cooking
1: for Blake all oh, these Mrs., years. Mrs. Gunnerson is she's like resting on her laurels.
0: I think maybe she just does the night shift and somebody else is doing yeah, the, she's the breakfast. Coasting.
1: She's just collecting a paycheck at this point.
0: But yeah, they gathered all the staff, Tony, Janetta's back, Mrs. Gunerson, a bunch of old white guys we've never seen before that I guess are butlers, to welcome home baby Blake Carrington Colby Jr. This was a, a really fun moment. I thought the direction and the production was great. It was so over the top, and it was selling this fact that Blake thinks that the baby is you know a little prince the heir apparent to steven keeps well playing. this is
1: like you know it might be obvious to call blake patriarchal you know, in the sense that that's normally a derogatory term, at least in today's parlance. Right. But actually, he kind of really is a patriarch. He's a rich father of a wealthy family that controls everything. So he's a patriarch.
0: Yeah. One, well, I think he's given up on his kids. I mean, Fallon's a woman, as she said way back in season one. She's never going to have control of Denver Carrington. You know, Blake and Stephen's relationship just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. Talk about circling the drain.
1: Yeah. That that one's already like ashes in the fireplace. But the thing is, is Blake doesn't look at bringing a grandson home as just a new child in the world. This is like, oh, now I finally have somebody to pass on my empire. Right. It's like a business decision. Right. With, or opportunity. Again, very patriarchal. Right. The other thing that he does that's like super patriarchal is he's always like controlling the narrative and. In this episode, you get, like, two very, like, literal instances of it. Like, he's basically telling Claudia the news from the telex, and he's, like, sort of narrating this whole story while well, your husband's dead and they found him in the jungle and,
0: he's got to be in control right
1: and like claudia's like yeah i already knew that i gotta tell x2 a few days ago i already knew about all of this and so it's like it's classic like blake's like gonna be the one telling the story but it's her story and her story is much more substantial to the point that you know she has nothing left to live for and she's just gone totally cuckoo bananas at this point
0: well the one thing i will say for claudia is that she has remarkable healing ability to be shot and then to not be wearing a bandage a couple of days later and have your... She even kind of feels around our head because she's not sure which side it was <laughs> I on. I know, she I forgot. Guess. I don't... I mean, they don't really explain how much time has passed but certainly you would have had to have your head shaved for that sucking procedure that Dr. Linguini was performing. The, the
1: bullet extraction procedure. Yes. Um, th- well, and the other way that Blake is like controlling the narrative is, of course, how like, how he dictates to to Stephen about Stephen's you know little gay escapade from LA to Denver and like oh you picked up a, a boy and you bought him beers and you plied him with with liquor and and traveled across the country with him and how do you think that looks you know and it's like, but and like, but Steven's right there in the room. Steven knows what he was up to the last few weeks or however long this has Yeah. Been. I mean, it
0: didn't even happen within the D- Denver city limit. It's just
1: like more of like, you know, Blake has to be in control and pull the strings. And like, he's, it doesn't matter if it's your story. He's going to tell it his way. And
0: well, I like the fact that we have a character like Steven who constantly denies Blake that power. He's not going to let him. And in so much in this episode, he's like, I would rather stay in this prison. Prison, then have to answer to you and have you bail me out and you tell me what my life is going to be and should be and it obviously reaches a huge boiling point in the end of the episode and he takes that out not just on Blake but the entire Carrington family Carrington associates Joseph the malicious majordomo and the crystalware.
1: what I like most about this episode is in the beginning it's all kind of about breakfast and you know it's like it's morning again at the the Carrington Mansion. Well,
0: the episode does pick up immediately where it left off, which I kind of like when they do that.
1: Uh, yeah, it, it's, it sort of lends a sense of continuity, even though there's like zero continuity in this show.
0: Claudia's bullet-ridden head. I
1: like seeing everybody like walking around in various states of undress, you know. Nobody's
0: which, ever undressed on this show except John James. No, I mean
1: undress in the sense of like, they're not in like, they're going out of the house clothes. So it's like, right. it's, it's a lot of like glamorous nineties and you know, luxurious pen the men
0: things. wear dress shirts under their robes. I mean, really.
1: Yeah, I mean even Joseph, like, you know, I don't know what they're paying this guy, but you know, I think he's got the uh, he's outdoing Blake in his dressing gown. I will say the and only And naturally of course Blake wakes up in full suit and tie mode. Yeah, he's of course. he's unlike the rest of them because he's like ready to go out for some corporate raiding and drill for blood money or whatever he does all day.
0: Or bail your uh, son out for homosexual assault.
1: This won't be considered simple assault, it'll be homosexual assault. You did hit that man and reason or not, you're going to have to answer for it. But then meanwhile over at Alexis's studio They're having a kinky breakfast of of pizza and rosé champagne, which I just, you know, I love this. I like, is it sort of a nod to brunch? Is it just she just felt like having pizza? Is this what it's like when when you're going to bed with Alexis? Like, <laughs> well, sign- the morning after is is pizza and, and rosé champagne, I guess.
0: Well, sign me up. A nice hot slice is better than uh, a cold one, <laughs> it right? It's shaped
1: like a triangle,
0: right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think Alexis explained it. They don't even let her in the house anymore to get a graham cracker. And she don't even like she graham She doesn't graham even like those anyway.
1: She's like, screw y'all. Keep your graham crackers and your butter knives. I've got pizza on a silver tray love that yeah it's and then she eats her pizza with a fork and knife Uh, it's it's very kinky for breakfast for sure
0: yeah i do have to say seeing her use a fork and knife darked me out a little bit because I generally find that a good way to figure out if somebody's psychotic or not is if they eat their pizza with a fork and knife.
1: I wouldn't go full psycho on that one. I mean, you know, like Seinfeld famously lampooned this with eating a candy bar with a fork and knife. Right, which was more it's was the same lines. Just being ridiculous, not psychotic. So, you know, two sides of the same coin maybe. We're not sure, but...
0: But yeah, we finally have a acknowledgement of what we knew was coming and that's that Alexis has agreed to Cecil's 20-year-old marriage proposal or whatever. She's,
1: yeah, she's finally going to make good on that one.
0: Yeah, and you know you can see in her eyes that this is strategy, honey. She's shifted from trying to woo Blake back, and she's going to use all of Cecil's money and power to, to get back at the Carringtons, and I think she likes fucking him, too.
1: Yeah, it's very much implied how much sex they're having. Well, these
0: two get horny on their hatred for Blake, both of them.
1: Yeah, no, they're turning on to this whole, like, hatred of Blake thing together. He's
0: vile. He's arrogant. And I'd like nothing more than to see him destroyed. Are you
1: serious? Oh, I'm deadly serious.
0: Well, don't you hate Blake Carrington, too? You
1: mean as a business competitor? Isn't anything. Well, put it this way. There's
0: no love lost between me and Blake Carrington. That's very, very good. That puts us on the same side, as
1: it were. I think she was about to blast off. Like, she was like, tell me more about how much we hate Blake, you know? (laughs) Well,
0: it made sense why the director was close up on this scene, because I didn't want to see what was going on down below that kimono
1: <laughs> <laughs> well and sidebar uh this is not a look of the week but as far as morning attire goes like alexis is killing it and her very sort of culturally appropriating cheesy kimono thing but it has like the big shoulder thing so it's it's for the times and it's it's on theme as well i, I just like what she's what she's got on in the morning better than everybody else yeah
0: but, when pepe's pizza is delivering a morning slice they're you're not gonna wear a robe you know you're gonna a put
1: Mm. Mm -hmm. Uh, But but the other thing I like about their dialogue here, Cecil is like getting a little bit literary, you know, like he drops this like George Bernard Shaw quote, which I actually like the Oscar Wilde version better, uh, which is that, you know, there's two great tragedies in life. One is not getting what you want and the other is getting it uh george bernard shaw kind of rephrases it in a way that cecil quotes and i don't think it's well cecil's not gonna
0: quote a queer dear well i uh,
1: they didn't look at it that way they were quoting literature and it didn't matter you know we didn't ascribe so much authorial intent to things back then but oh we have to talk about this limo it's so funny because i didn't even think about it you called it out it's you know this this limo like got grenaded like i don't know 10 episodes ago and now it's back, so it's the same make and model, but this is a three-year-old used car at this point, so... Look, Blake likes it. He's got the money. He took it to the body shop, and he got that shit redone. I, well, no, he probably just found another one just like it, or I don't know, but, you know, I guess, I guess he just wasn't into the boxy panther body Lincolns of, of 1981, so...
0: One thing I'm not into is the introduction of this new character, Susan the nurse. It felt a little abrupt. Her and Dr. Puccini apparently have some backstory, so they run into each other in the nursery, and she's like, oh, I don't really want to... Go live with the Carringtons and be the baby nurse. I'd rather live in the Tuscany house on the hills. And I'm like, bitch, what are you talking about? The Carrington Mansion is way better than Dr. Nick's hippie one den in the woods. One would think,
1: but here's the thing. Um, they're talking about like, I think Blake even says something. I'm so glad that Claudia doesn't have to go back to the sanitarium. You know, he's talking to like Dr. Nick after, you know, she has her big revelation to them about who shot the gun. And I'm just thinking, no, she's living in the nut house. The Carrington Mansion. Oh yeah, it's for sure crazier. It's being run by the inmates. And like, as much as Blake might control everything, he has no control over all of the crazy shit that's going on in his own house under his own roof.
0: But anyway, didn't you find the introduction of Susan kind of jarring?
1: you know, there's something about this show that's almost more about the potential than what you actually end up getting on the screen. And I think she's a good example of that because she's played by Christine Belford, who sort of turned up in like commercials at the time, and then I guess she was on, you know, random shows doing like parts like this, basically. She and does
0: have a very recognizable I guess she was in Christine, face. the
1: movie. She has a very recognizable Oh Yes, face. that's where I yeah. know her from. Um I kind of like her here. I just don't know what they're doing with her. And oh, well, it's, some, I feel it's like she's not set up, anything like, good because well, she's no Nurse no Ratched, though. She's, well, she's no Nurse Ratchet either. Like, Well, she's no Mary Poppins. You can tell she's up to no good, but in what way? You're not really sure. And then turns out maybe she's a MacGuffin because it's crazy Claudia that's going to pick up the baby at the end of the episode. Like, well, obviously, for, this baby is not safe.
0: Something bad is going to... I mean, already... Well, with, all,
1: with all these insane people running around in this house, like this baby has zero chance like (laughs) somebody is is gonna pick the black marble
0: yeah i mean i'm getting like kidnappy vibes from her because she has a issue with the one percent every line that she delivers is like i can't believe that this baby's a prince and oh aren't you so lucky you get to live in buckingham palace it's like the baby didn't have anything to do with that
1: yeah she has she has an axe to grind we're not sure what exactly it is but I guess we'll find out in the next episode or maybe she was just on here for a bit part. And that's, that's it. Like, that that went nowhere
0: or maybe she'll marry Stephen carrington
1: let's talk about nurseries cannabis so maybe the brain center and this whole circus tent that these people are living in is this insane very creepy nursery in some ways it's very quintessential though it's like full of like chintz prints and baby blue literally uh but then like what's going on with like the insanely creepy stuffed animals which this child is never going to play with no
0: those animals are going to come to life and haunt that child's dreams every night. And there's
1: a great like sort of like like zoom back with with the camera and so you like you see one little sort of creepy humpty dumpty but then like he's got a girlfriend humpty dumpty <laughs> and then like there's small duck wearing a bonnet and then there's a big duck wearing a bonnet. I
0: think there's also a medium and an extra small duck wearing yeah, bonnets. Too. Yeah,
1: it's it's like a whole gaggle of ducks or whatever a group of ducks would be called yeah Um, i mean
0: you thought pennywise from it was creepy just go into baby Blake's. yeah clowns are just level
1: one once we get to ducks and humpty dumpties that's like level 12 or something i don't know and bone chilling this poor child like you know he's doomed just from the way the nursery is is festooned and then you had like the the classic brass swinging crib thing which i feel like was always sort of a little like sudden infant death syndrome kind of like furniture oh yeah those
0: have been recalled they would like give them away
1: on prices right they're all in in a landfill somewhere what's this guy gonna do with a brass baby bassinet whatever like and you got to pay the taxes on those prizes. that's the other thing prices right is a trick y'all it is nice
0: to see fallon embracing motherhood we have her and jeff coming back together they're gonna make it work for the baby which is obviously gonna be a disaster
1: but i don't well, isn't know that what we learned from the 70s and 80s that like instead of getting divorced which is a highly an option we can just stay together for the baby which like as we know like really never works out but but as uh fallon says like maybe that's not worse than all the arguments and the fighting we have
0: very dr laura of her sham marriage (laughs) speaking of sham marriages steven confronts his mother after you know his legal altercation and finally gets confirmation that yes alexis paid to send that little tramp sammy joe away
1: Yeah, here we are having this, like, very frank discussion between Stephen and his mother. Uh, But also, this is the same garden, which apparently Fallon's bedroom window now overlooks. Continuity error. So that, yeah. So, I mean, it's all very convenient. So, of course, she can see.
0: Yeah, it was literally, like, eight or ten episodes ago. She was looking out, and there was a giant tree she used to climb. And now she can see the garden, which is... Well, obviously an indoor set.
1: It's, it's always something about like receiving knowledge and how it screws everything up in the fall of man. And and here she is like seeing Dr. Nick and Crystal. And of course, like in classic soap opera logic, like she doesn't really know what's going on. She just sees Dr. Nick kissing crystal and just assumes oh yeah they you know they're stepping out with each other and yeah
0: i think the writers are just tying up all those loose threads with the three-way between crystal and dr nick and and fallon and i well, here's, think we're moving on okay so that, which m- i like
1: the thing with crystal in this episode this is very classic and i and i want to dissect it a bit because Crystal sort of, like, gets painted as, like, oh, this poor put-upon woman, and, like, her life is so hard, and she's so nice, and why does everybody treat her so badly? Crystal, like, tries to, you know, console Claudia, and Claudia, like, just totally turns crazy on her you know basically she gets bitched out by claudia over the whole matthew situation
0: well rightfully so
1: yeah actually yes rightfully so like but see here's the thing this is how things look versus like what the facts are like crystal like looks like this like sweet nice lady who's just trying to make good and claudia looks like a super nut job but it's like no claudia really should be bitching her out over the whole matthew thing then you've also got like fallon giving crystal the what for over you know Nick Toscani.
0: Look, Crystal, I don't like you around the baby. I can handle him. I don't need my father's wife to help. I'm not gonna take this as an insult, Fallon. Because I think I know what's eating you. Has something to do with Nick, doesn't it?
1: Fallon, I was never really involved with him. And I'm not now. And I'm not holding him with any invisible strings. If you've lost him and you want to know the source, just look
0: into any mirror in the house.
1: Like Crystal really is not as like sweet and innocent and unblameable as she might, like, look at first No, blush. she has
0: her bitchy and, moments. And she,
1: well, yeah, she has her bitchy moments, but, like, here she just looks so, like, why is everybody being so mean to her? And it's like, no, no, she deserves all of this. Like, she's just as bad as the rest of them, which is what I love because, like, you know, Stephen calls it all, all out at the end, like, puts everybody on read, including Crystal, and, like, she's no less blameless than the rest of them. But like, don't be mistaken. Like by appearances, like she's not this sweet, innocent, you know, woman who got, dragged in to all of this mess at the Carringtons
0: yeah I loved his monologue it was very much a callback for me to the dinner party episode from the first season or not the Absol- dinner party the birthday party the Absolutely. birthday party with Jeff calling out everybody for being deplorables and here we have Stephen doing it now if you recall Stephen wasn't part of that he didn't get to go to New Orleans for Cecil's birthday party so this is his take on that and now Jeff is is part of it too everybody yeah, Jeff is. has been
1: co-opted and obviously we've already talked about like jeff has like no testicles at this point so he's just like another smiling buffoon in this crowd
0: well and he's propping up blake and all of his evil doings as well maybe because he has daddy issues himself but you know we haven't really explored that but what's really disheartening is how alexis is part of this as well because steven and alexis i think have had more of a bond but he just breaks it off i think with that's everybody. important to
1: note um how alexis has now been fully grouped in with the rest of these people in
0: steven's eyes um, yeah in I
1: steven's mean, eyes but i think also if if you're an audience that was liking alexis this is sort of a moment where you do realize oh no she's she's we all knew she was evil but in a fun way but now she's just like evil in the same way that the rest of these people are and She's being really called out on the floor for her her, her own hypocrisy which really applies to all of all of these people i
0: do like how they all kind of group up though and call sammy joe out
1: yeah they really they were not having it with her like sh- she was a rejected donor i almost wonder I... if the
0: actors didn't really like heather locklear and so they were putting it all in they, <laughs> Ooh, they were <laughs> jealous yeah i mean you she tell. was the hottest person on the show the other part about this speech is it's kind of a coming out moment even though we all know that well, he's had homosexual relationships it's,
1: it's it's fascinating to me because I think this was like an entire full blown scene. I mean, this is like five minutes. It was a play.
0: It was yeah. like an act of a play. Yeah.
1: It's they. So they, they spent a lot of time on this one issue, which is essentially Steven says it, that he's a homosexual. He is gay. And you know, like, look, I it's, this keeps going back to what the writers would say, what they were allowed to say, what the tensions were with producers and, and, We can't do this or that. I don't know. And like at the end of the day, all you can do is like assess what's on the screen. Steven says he's gay. I don't know. Like, I think we would all sort of say like reclassify him now as like a bisexual character, which I think is great. However, we keep going back to this like problem of.
0: Now, here's one thing I wanted to talk to you about. I feel like his sexuality is also getting mixed up with his relationship with his father. He's kind of using his sexuality against his father because he knows that his father is anti-gay.
1: My take on that, because Blake sets it up in the beginning in that um, interrogation room at the police department, he sets it up as, I don't have to lie, he says to Stephen, implying that. Your life is a lie. Your life is a lie. Or because you are engaging in unapproved sexual behaviors, you have to lie about it in order to function in society. So to me, it's not Stephen using it against him so much. I think it's more Stephen pointing out that you all are a bunch of hypocrites and I'm gay. And by the way, gay is not lying. Gay is my only truth. Um, And that's why I'm saying it right here and right now. And the rest of you people have way worse things to be lying about in your own lives. So that's how I see that dynamic. I would agree with that. That's a very intellectual approach. I would call it scatterbrained, but okay, I'll accept that.
0: You know what really hurts me the most? Is I hate what you all stand for. I hate your values, your morals, and your blindness.
1: But I love you. I love you all very much. As much as I appreciate Steven, like, being sort of, like, the moral center all of a sudden, like, where the hell has he been most of this, this season? Like, he's sort of just been, like, a just a cheap prop, you know, for Blake and the rest of the family to sort of bounce things off of. But, well,
0: he did get married to his child bride, Sandy Jo. even that
1: was, like, a prop, you know? Like, he even says, like, I... Was with boys you didn't like that, so I brought a woman home, and you didn't like her. And well, that's what
0: I'm saying with his sexuality. I think he's just still trying to either seek Blake's approval or be completely defiant of Blake. The pendulum is uh, always back and yeah, forth. It,
1: it remains to be seen if he's like trying things on or if he's I just think going. No, after that journey scene in the or-
0: library, we are getting a Steven who is more confident in himself. He's been spending this whole season figuring it out, experimenting, trying different things. I mean, hell, he's been doing that the whole time we've known this character. But I think now that monologue is him putting his foot down against the family and for himself.
1: I think it's a great monologue on its own. However, when you put it in the context of where has Steven really been and why is he suddenly the moral center of the dynasty universe at this moment at least like I, in a way he's kind of just kind of he's returned to what he was about 30 episodes ago well yeah but so that's i like Blake's we just went on this big fault. circular journey like oh yeah it's
0: not his fault but i guess it's everybody's fault I and mean, but at least fallon kind of has his back which is nice so i'm excited to see what's ha- gonna happen because there's just so much drama in the air you know we've got this proposal uh, it seems like Alexis has some ideas of what she wants her wedding reception to be. Steven is totally against the family. There's an evil nurse next to a crazy woman. There's just so much drama in the camera. I mean, there's definitely a lot of
1: ingredients, but we'll see if we just wind up with burnt bacon and egregious eggs or, <laughs> you know, a light and fluffy quiche.
0: Now it's time for our look of the week. This is the part of the episode where Kyler and I choose our favorite lurks from the episode. We don't choose
1: them. They choose us.
0: I'm going to go a little bit off script here. Not that we have a script, but, you know, we had some nice looks from Crystal. Alexis served two really great ensembles, but I want to give attention to a little moment that was so delicious and completely unnecessary. And that is the pimp and the hoe in the interrogation room before Blake meets up with Steven. I think I'm gonna give it to the pimp. This first tall glass of water. Excuse me, don't interrupt me when I'm describing a pimp's outfit because I will pimp slap you.
1: You've already gotten 12 sentences and I have a lot of things that I think you're dropping stuff that's just assumptions. Like the big one is, How do we know that this is a pimp and this is a hooker?
0: Well, this is my interpretation of the scene. But they're in an interrogation room. He is wearing a suit carrying a big
1: white hat. He's got like a big flamboyant white pocket square.
0: Yeah. Well, it's not a pocket it's like square. It's, it's square. almost it's- It almost looks like a big flower. And you know, this man has money because he's got a big gold ring on his finger. It almost looks like it could be like brass knuckles or something. I don't know what he did, but it, it was not... Pleasant to his uh, female companion that well, he was meeting up with. I
1: have to wonder if this was the product of the the director, because um, I don't even imagine they would have written this into the script. There was no real like you know driving moment from this, but it's certainly there to set the mood, I guess, before Stephen and Blake enter this room. Yeah, um, I
0: guess that was the reason for it. I don't know, but there's like, just so these much would going on. Just
1: be extras in a background, but they kind of get their own moment. So
0: And I forgot to mention the pimp suit is Burgundy. It's a delicious shade of red.
1: Well reddish purple. So yeah, it's interesting because he's in this sort of very like five years ago dressy pimp attire, which it's sort of like pimp dressing, I guess sort of was frozen in that moment. Like a time. shaft kind of a situation. Yes, it's like no pimps can ever dress in current trends after that moment, apparently. Um, it's always got to be a wide-brim hat and a 1970s-esque suit. Big old collar poking Right, out. big butterfly collar for sure. And on the other hand, the merchandise he's selling, um, which is a very rude way, but obviously it's a very rude relationship, she is like in this pat benatar look so she's like kind of like way on the opposite end of the spectrum um you know it's like the extreme almost bad on purpose makeup with the short haircut and you know the striped jersey knit you know almost tube dress but not quite i don't know it's uh, it's very interesting these two together. It's in not
0: room. too sexy either because no, she's it's not, not serving cleavage. There's barely any leg. The dress almost goes to the knee, but it is very like flirty and fun and casual. So, I guess if she needed, you needed to access the merchandise, it might be kind of easy. I don't know to to take off. That's was my interpretation of it. To be clear, she is not my look of the week. The pimp is my look of the week. What's your look of the week? Really? Other?
1: I think these two together are a look because they kind of need each other. I don't know that we would have noticed this little moment as much if either or both of them had that not been. That is so
0: misogynistic of you to say that
1: a prostitute needs a pimp. No, I'm saying that these outfits need each other. <laughs> oh, Cause otherwise they're just sort of a little bit random, but like the two of them are so jarring. I don't know. It's like, it's clearly illustrating what's happening in that one small scene. Yeah. You know, so good directing in that sense.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's runners up. Alexis had that great Asian look, but again, when she goes too costumey like that, it doesn't excite me as much. And then, at the end she was wearing that great black and gold number. I just felt like there wasn't enough gold. It just kinda of seemed like two sleeves floating yeah, through the I was the actually just mansion. gonna give
1: the look of the week to her arms because <laughs> Yeah, it was all the, about the arms. The gold Lemay puff sleeves were like doing it for me. But everything else was a little bit I mean, I like that that um you know, gold cable chain she was wearing, which sort the of The necklace? Like, yeah, which sort oh, of like I didn't like that. Complimented I the... it was boring. The neckline, I thought. Yeah, of course it's boring, but it's boring in like in a tasteful, nuanced way, not like in a... It doesn't do anything way. But yeah, not not the most exciting looks. I, it's this, this episode is very... Much about what's happening and not really what things look like. Yeah, so I appreciate. I mean, I that. do.
0: I do think that for the roast of the Carringtons at the end, everybody looked great. And you know, we don't see the characters all together, especially like in the same shot a lot. So that was nice, and they did look great. But they weren't as exciting to me as the pimp and the hookers two seconds in the interrogation room. So kudos to those extras. I hope they enjoy their accolade well, for us. <laughs>
1: One thing I took away from your um, your call with La Joan is that she apparently was suggesting costume to Nolan Miller and asking to be dressed in certain ways. I used to think she was just being given a lot of love. But I think she just was like, hey, I want to wear this or have this silhouette or I need to be a little more glamorous than Crystal or whatever it might have been that she was saying to them or or whatever they were doing for her, based on her suggestions. Who knows? But yeah, um, like you could you could tell that here. I mean, out of everybody in the room, she's the one with the most interesting clothes on. Well,
0: that's another edition of Dynasty as They Want to Be. Kyler, thank you so much for joining me again.
1: Bake me a cheesecake and call me Blanche Devereaux.
0: Well, I also want to thank Sauce Beauty for sponsoring our podcast. and Sponsoring my do.
1: Yeah, next week. People wouldn't quit putting their hands on my hair tonight. Well, you have pretty fucking flawless hair, I will have to say. I'll let you say it. I won't say it because that's tacky.
0: Okay. Well, I said it. Your hair is fucking flawless. Check out our bonus episode on patreon.com slash nasty podcast. Until next week, this has been Dynasty as They Want to Be.